We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Every week I'm feeling like this space is growing in holiness, and it's not only because of the air conditioning. <laughs> we had a wonderful concert here this week, and this weekend our yeshiva students are uh, in devotional silence. So let's keep that in mind as we sort of safeguard our own sense of holiness and kedushah. So this week, I've been reflecting on getting stuck, feeling thwarted, or even thwarting somebody else. Let me just give you a a few simple examples, then we'll go a little bit deeper into that idea. So I like to ride my bike on the Hudson Path, and I'm kind of a, a leisurely rider. I'm not like an intense rider. I often go with my friend, and we talk, we talk about life, and philosophy, and Judaism. And suddenly, like we're trying to stay to the right where we're supposed to be, going up the Hudson, more towards the GW Bridge. Suddenly, these intense riders come out of nowhere, furious at us. Move over, they say. And we're, okay, we'll, we'll move over. We're sorry we're not going your speed in life, but this is what we're doing. So somehow we're thwarting them. Um, another example is, a really hot day like this, and you're on you're on the subway, and you need to get off the train, and these scores of people are coming at you and not letting you off. And I don't know about you, but in me, just to really confess, a sense of rage comes up. Move out of my way! Let me out of the train! So, so that feeling of stuckness, and just on a day-to-day level, like when are you stuck in a script? in a relationship dynamic that you don't quite like. It's like, why do I keep doing this? And you're stuck. So amazingly enough, as I was studying the Parsha this week, I found a practice that could help me, and I hope help all of us, with stuckness. So if you will open up the book with me, the Torah, and this week's Parsha is called Balak, and it's named for the king of Moab who, as Rabbi David spoke about last night, is terrified of the Israelites because they are many, which echoes a little bit Pharaoh's sense of being uh, threatened by the Israelites because they were being fruitful, multiplying, and filling up the land. So this fear of the other. And let's keep in mind, and those of you who are in the open book this morning, very good question. Thank you, Jamie. We're on page 896. So those of you who are in the open book heard our day turning that this fear is, is of this ragtag, you know, group of ex-slaves, right? So it's, if we think about it objectively, they're not the most frightening group, but they are strange and they are the other to the king of Moab, and they just won the war against the Amorites. So he wants to do something to defuse their power. And what does he do? He calls on this guy, and this guy's name is Bil'am. He's a kind of freelance prophet, 
right? People, he's a seer. And people call upon him to bless or to curse as they sort of see fit or as they want in that moment. And King Balak calls upon Bil'am to curse the Israelites. Now, Bil'am knows better. Bil'am understands where his source of prophecy comes. So he actually has a relationship to God, to God as we know God in this book, as the Israelites know God, and that's by the name of yun hei So Bil'am, the king of Moab, the, the dignitaries come to him and say, look, you've got to go curse the Israelites, and, and we're going to give you a lot of stuff if you curse the Israelites. And, and Bil'am says, stay the night. I've got to consult with the boss upstairs. And Bil'am consults, and the boss says, uh-uh. God says, yud hei says, you can't do this. You know why? Because this people, they are blessed. They are fundamentally blessed. Um, I think I think the words specifically are um, Baruch He or Baruch Hu. Does anyone remember specifically? Baruch Hu. Thank you. So they are existentially, essentially, fundamentally blessed, and there's nothing you can do with language that will change that fact because your language comes from me. So Bilam says, okay. He goes, he tells the Moabites, I can't do what you want. Then what happens? They come back again and say, look, we've got a lot of gold, we've got a lot of honor, we've got a lot of stuff. Can you go curse the Israelites? And Balaam says again, stay the night. Interesting. He already knew that he wasn't supposed to do this. It's almost like if our daughter said to my husband and I, can, can I have ice cream? And we say no. And she comes back a half an hour later and says, can I have ice cream? Right? Expecting a different answer. So Bil'am asks God again. And this time God says, okay, go. Now it's a little mysterious why. And the commentators sort of have a field day about this. I will tell you for now my theory, because I want to get to the, the practice of stuckness. It's like God saw that Bil'am really wanted that honor, really wanted that goal really wanted to go and let Bil'am play it out so Bil'am would learn something. It's almost like allowing your child at some point to fail as opposed to micromanaging their every moment. <coughs> okay, so what happens? Now let's look at the bottom of page 896. I know those of you who are in the open book this morning studied this with Rabbi David. We're going to do a little bit something different. And we're not actually reading this passage from the Torah today, but we're going to go there as well. So just hold on, okay? So 896 on the bottom, if someone could read it in 21? the English. 21? What bottom? 21, yes. Thank you. I'll read it. Great. Can you read it in a really loud voice? <clears throat> when he arose in the morning, Balaam saddled his ass and departed with the Moabite dignitaries. So but this, this so as Rabbi David pointed out this morning, you should come to this Parsha class because it's amazing. Um, this echoes the binding of Abraham, Abraham saddling his donkey, his ass, um, early in the morning. Okay, And you'll see going with his lambs. Go on, Lena. But God was incensed at his going, so an angel of the Lord placed himself in his way as an adversary. So later this word will come to mean... Um, Satan, but here it means someone who will get in his way, will thwart him, 
will be an adversary. He was riding on his she-ass with his two servants alongside when the ass caught sight of an angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. So the ass, the she-donkey, sees what the seer does not see, as we will, as we will see. <laughs> the ass swerved from the road and went into the fields. And Balaam beat the ass to turn her back onto the road. The angel of the Lord then stationed himself in a lane between the vineyards with a fence on either side. The ace, the ass, seeing the angel of the Lord, pressed herself against the wall and squeezed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he beat her again. Once more the angel of the Lord more moved forward and stationed himself on a spot so narrow that there was no room to swerve right or left. When the ass now saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under the under Balaam, and Balaam was furious and beat the ass with his stick. So the donkey refused to move, and Balaam, thwarted, is getting angrier and angrier and beating her more and more. So now what does she say? Then the Lord opened the ass's mouth and said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have beaten me these three times? Balaam said to the ass, you have made a mockery of me. If I had a sword with me, I'd kill you. Now we're on the top of page 898. The ass said to Balaam, Look, I am the ass that you have been riding all along until this day. Have I been in the habit of doing thus to you? And he answered, No. Okay, so let's stop there for a minute. So it's the donkey who has the profound relational wisdom in this story. I remember getting mad at a friend because I thought they were demeaning me or devaluing me in some way. And the friend said to me, do you know me to do something like that? Like, we've known each other for 20 years. Do you know? Do, you, do I do things like that? I'm like, mm, no. Right. So it's this sense of trust and also being a witness to relationships right, and to how people serve you over time. Right, or, or who they are in relationship to you over time, and somehow trusting that. Right, so what Balaam was doing, in his quest for honor, because now he was being dishonored by his donkey, right, he wanted to go to dignitaries and get honor, and the donkey was showing him up. So he's thwarted in his pursuit of honor, and he is hitting, he is enraged by the donkey and hitting her. Okay, yeah, then the Lord uncovered Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, his drawn sword in his hand. Thereupon he bowed right down to the ground. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you beaten your ass these three times? It is I who The angel of God is concerned about Balaam's donkey. Right? It is a, concerned for his beast of burden here. It is I who came out as an adversary, for the errand is obnoxious to me. And when the ass saw me, she shied away because of me these three times. If she had not shied away from me, you are the one I should have killed while sparing her. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I erred because I did not know that you were standing in my way. If you still disapprove, I will turn back. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but you must say nothing except what I tell you. So Balaam went on with Balak's dignitary. Okay, great, stop it. So... Let me tell you what I took away as a practice for addressing stuckness and what has actually been helping me somewhat, at least this week at the beginning. 
Um, when you feel stuck, think about what's stuck in you and see if you are devaluing that thing or person. Right? Let's say I'm, I don't know, uh, mad at someone who is working for me, right? Because they're not doing the right thing. Am I devaluing them in my frustration? Right, so that's number one. What may you be devaluing in your anger? And maybe even in your desire to do violence, maybe not physical, but perhaps emotional in the way that you talk to that person. Number two, as you reflect on your own stuckness, whether it's a relational dynamic or it's you're stuck in a role at work that you're not liking or you want something to happen in your life, like lose weight and it's not happening, um, the stuckness, if it's happening again and again, what's the voice of the angel in that stuckness? What's being communicated in your sort of repetition? Let me give you two examples that I hope will make it concrete. Um, a young man has been bullied his entire growing up, and he, understandably so, has anger management issues. Right? And it happens again and again. He just blows up all over the place. And he finally, through therapy and some really solid work on himself, realizes that that anger, which has really been destructive in his life, has protected him from the vulnerability that has led to so much pain in his own life. Right? So understanding that he needs protection from vulnerability, he values the anger and yet realizes there are other ways to protect his own vulnerability. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, another example. Um, a young woman suffered from abuse in her childhood and she becomes very overweight and she's got this eating problem. And what she sees it as is an eating problem and she can't stop herself. And she's not making the connection to what happened to her and her quote unquote eating problem. And again, finally, through many years of struggling and suffering and feeling out of control, someone helps her to understand that it's precisely her weight that kept her safe. And it's precisely the thing she had to value before she moved on to find other ways to protect herself and to protect her body. Okay, so it's revaluing what you're not valuing, and then it's Hearing the voice of what you're stuck in. Okay, let me just stop for a second and see if anyone has wants to add something or has a question about this. Yeah. Brian Weiss's books, Past Depressions, is a lot of answers in there. That's interesting. So you can find the answer to what you're stuck in in a past life. Yeah. Okay, thank you. It happens at this one. Thank you. So that's but not all the time. Yeah. Okay. So in that case, that would be the angelic voice. Yeah. Right? That's when you find the revelation about what's going on. Rabbi David. So, so I, I'm not sure if I'm hearing you. If I'm hearing you correctly, I want to hear you say that there's great wisdom in the obstacle that is impeding your progress. Exactly. And instead thank of trying you. to beat the obstacle, Exactly. Or undo the obstacle. Yes. It might be better to ask the obstacle what it sees, right, that, he, that is 
that you need to extract that wisdom like this yes. like the analogy you gave of like the overweight was just instead of battling that, what is underneath it that it is speaking to you. Is that what let, you're let it speak, exactly. And I will add that it is common. People often have a deal or um, a societal value of powering through. So this is kind of the opposite. And I'm not sure we should, I'm not saying we should always um, not power through, but sometimes it just doesn't work. And it doesn't work because you don't hear the wisdom in, this, in your situation. Okay, so I'm going to now power through. No. <laughs> I'm going to take some quick comments, and I, I want to do two more things. Go ahead. Just one, I, that helped a lot because I was thinking, are you saying the, donk, the donkey is like being fat, like the donkey fat, I think that's the connection. But I think because right, based on what Rabbi David just sort of extrapolated on, but so there's a piece here I'm sorry, remind that me reading. is um, the, the donkey speaking is like the last part of a miracle from God. Ah. Is it connected to the bush, like the brain bush? Like, is there some beginning and end there, or? That's really interesting. I never thought of that. Okay, so remind me of your name. I'm sorry. Janine. So Janine is saying that maybe the donkey is an extension or kind of a bracketing of prophecy from the burning bush until this moment. Right? It's another form of prophecy. Yeah, and it's only there are only two speaking animals in the whole Torah. What's the other one? What's the other one? Snake, right? And the opening up of um, the Garden of Eden, like that whole story. Okay, yeah, Dana. You started out with the example of the subway. Yes. Can you speak to this metaphor with regard to that? I didn't really see it as a, as a metaphor, just like, oh, I see what you're saying. That's interesting. Well, here's what comes to mind, if I'm going to apply this. Thomas Merton, in Seeds of Contemplation, talks about not seeing the, um, he's the 20th century Jesuit monk, is that right? Not seeing other people just as furniture. Like, can you humanize them in that moment, even if they're in your way? Right? You're, you're a subject among subjects. They're experiencing the same. You can't hear? Even if they're in your way, can you humanize them even though you're hot and bothered? We can't always do it, right? But what's the task? And what are we reaching for? What's the vision that may help us through the day? we got to let him in. <laughs> hey, you still have to get off the train. <laughs> you still have to get off the train. <laughs> Just don't push them on the way. <laughs> yeah, Larry. Yeah. This is about Martin Hoover's I am thou. When they're coming on, you see them as it is. Because you're trying to get somewhere, and it's in the yes. way. Yes. When you understand that they're also trying to get somewhere, it doesn't change and you're in their way. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that they're in your way, but it changes how you understand who they are. And it may change or it may shift your sense of frustration and anger. It just may. Yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> you try to tell me later today. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I see here that God gets angry. He gets incensed. Yeah. So God's given us this example of being of going for anger. Do you ever hear where God cries or God is vulnerable in the sense in the, in the Torah? Others? Is God vulnerable in the Torah? God gets mad in the sense. I see God is very vulnerable. Right before God joins with the Lord, because God is pain to his heart, or to her heart. It says it in the Torah. It says it in the Torah. 
God is pained to God's heart. You want a lesson on that? We can talk about God's vulnerability, but that's a different topic. But God is pained to God's heart, and God is regretful of having created human beings. I think this is a very vulnerable moment. Okay, but it's strange to me that since God told him to go, that then he would get angry at him. I just don't understand why, why is he angry? Is he angry? I think because Bilam did not accept the first time that God said, you're not going, and these people are blessed, and asked again. But yeah, I, I see why that's not satisfying. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm in your way, yay. <laughs> Jamie. So, I, just to bring it home again, I think that what you're saying is that this is really a gift ask, and it's that. This is a gift ask, yes. And that it's not an obstacle in your way, it's something that you must understand, and that you must, you're embracing what looks like an obstacle, but underneath it's really a lesson for you to embrace. Exactly. And I'm not saying it's not painful. It's a yeah. painful oh, it's triggering. It's yeah. what triggers us. <laughs> but what triggers us is where the juice is. Yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of revelation right there. Yeah. Okay, Rachel, do you want to say something? Yes. Um, um, I'm, I like the question. I'm thinking um, you can see it two ways. One, if this is a story, that there's a problem in the story it doesn't make any sense. But uh, you put it in essence and say, God is going to teach Bilam a huge lesson. <laughs> and by having this incident on the road, he's softening of Bilam's perception. So when the time of being alone, the story comes, uh, and words are going to come out of the mouth's mouth, he has been kind of uh, oriented that uh, something's going on, that he should be expecting some kind of interesting thing along the path. Thank you. So learning through the unfolding of the story. I, I think I have to um, begin to wrap it up. So let me say that today would have been the 17th of Tammuz, but it's tomorrow because we don't mourn on Shabbat, so we push it off till the next day. It's the beginning of three weeks of mourning. And one of the things that's said to happen for the temples, um, for the ancient temples that have been destroyed a long time ago, one of the things that happened on the 17th of Tammuz, it is said that Moses shattered the tablets when he saw the people worshiping a calf. So he acted, he was disappointed. His project with God was being thwarted by the worst thing possible, which is idolatry, which was idolatry. There they were, dancing around a calf. But it might have been useful in that moment for Moshe and God to ask what was going on with the people that they needed an idol. And when we give way to frustration and shattering and anger, we block revelation. Right? We shatter the tongue. But this Parsha leads us to blessing. And I want to call up all those today who might be willing to engage in a practice of addressing stuckness as a way to, um, to blessing, to a common blessing for all of us. Amen. Amen.